Hey, PHDiva's listeners. This is a quick post-production note. I have cut a conversation between myself and Liz about the upcoming strike in UK academia for equality, job security, fair workloads, and fair pay because I wanted to dedicate a full episode to the topic. Please check out that episode when it becomes available. Also, since I briefly mentioned Hawaii in this episode, I wanted to tell you a bit about the protests on Mauna Kea. Native Hawaiians, the Kanaka Maoli, are protesting the building of the 30-meter telescope on the sacred site of Mauna Kea. They are not anti-science. If you don't already know about this struggle, I recommend seeking coverage from the Kanaka Maoli perspective. There are also pieces and letters signed by scientists in support of the protesters. Enjoy this episode! Um, so you were asking how I was doing, and I'm perpetually sick at this point. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, yeah, I was thinking about the theme of this episode. Well, I feel like on the one hand, we've been wanting to talk a while about the whole thing about how people think that their success means that everything is fine. But also, mm. like, I feel like part of us reconnecting is also a wellness check. Mm, this could be our wellness check. Yeah, but you're you're perpetually sick right now because of stress. Um, yeah, I guess. So what I've been saying to people is that this is the first semester for me as a professor and I'm adjusting to all sorts of different changes in my life. Mm-hmm. So even something as mundane as I'm actually sitting by my computer a lot more than I was when I was a postdoc because I was doing bench research I was at the mm-hmm. bench so there was more up and down movement whereas now I'm, I'm getting like tension headaches or these things because I may be sitting in a certain way for a long period of time I would have never thought about that because in my mind I'm still postdoc I'm still someone who's active mm-hmm. uh, and my body's telling me like you're actually not that active right now yeah or like forgetting to eat or not finding time to eat, but because I, I mean, I love food. I, I love food. So I don't think of myself as someone who skips meals like that, mm-hmm. except it'll be 6 PM. And I'm wondering why I have a headache. Yeah. And it's like, did you eat? Did you drink anything? And it's like, Oh wait, that candy bar isn't food. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a meal. <laughs> have you started trying to um, keep snacks in your office? That's what I've been doing. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I'm laughing because I I bought beef jerky. I bought um, these like kind bars. Um, yeah, so I started slacking things. And I also had fruit. Um, but then I came in one day and I had fruit flies in my office. And Ooh. I was like, oh, so I need to eat this faster. Yeah. So things like that. And then I got sick. Um, and it all started at conference season. Oh, yeah. that's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. I know when I presented last <laughs> week, my friends were joking. Maybe they're joking. Maybe they were sincere that they feel like I do sound slightly English now. Really? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know how you can sound English. I hope without not. putting a lot of effort into it. Yeah, but sorry. You so you're feeling you're completely you're not feeding yourself. It's going into conference season. Well, I'm feeding no myself. I'm fixing the problems. <laughs> but I will say that I don't remember being this sick very frequent. I don't get sick that frequently. And so to, um, this is a, a boring story that I'm going to make last like three minutes. Um, okay. so, so you cut me off when it's like too boring. But one is a comment on perf- like conferences as a faculty member, which mm-hmm. might be a valid, you know, discussion on its own. 
I found that things changed. I, <laughs> so I went to this conference that I always go to, but now I'm a professor. And it felt mm-hmm. like like all the colors are more vibrant. People are speaking <laughs> to me. Everyone's like, oh, oh hi, gosh. congratulations. I'm so happy for you. Liz, let's talk about collaborations. Let's talk about what your plans are. Liz, Liz, Liz. Oh my God, Liz, I want to work in your lab. And I'm like, whoa, huh. where'd this come from? Because when you're a grad student, you're like the minion that circles around the faculty. Mm. And also you're looking for every free food and alcohol, beer opportunity possible. And now I'm embarrassed to say this, but I was talking so much that I was at an open bar and did not drink. Ooh. <laughs> because I because every time I tried to get closer to it, I would get into another conversation and then I would become so invested in the conversation, I would forget that I had a purpose beforehand. So it's a bit of being scatterbrained and like, you know, my normal excitement, I guess. But um, suffice to say that when you um, stay up, when you get up at eight, let's be honest, getting up at six, because there's like this 8 a.m. session and you're talking all day long, you're eating Mm -hmm. terrible food, terrible food. Maybe you're drinking you go to sleep at two or something and you do it all again and it's cold and you don't bring a jacket. So I got sick and I lost my voice um, to the point where when I, um, to the conferences like Wednesday through Saturday and Monday came around and I have to teach and I'm like, I, I really don't want to cancel class, but I can't, it hurts to speak right now. Mm-hmm. I was kind like on my couch. I was plopped up on my couch, like I can't move. This is the only thing I have really committed today, and so I, so yeah, so that happened, and so then I finally, I finally learned what it means to have to work while you're sick. And I, I don't know, it feels different now. Like there's just so many meetings. Yes. And, and. You know, when I feel sick, I'm like, can I cancel it? So when it was an experiment, it's like, okay, I can move that experiment. I'm the person doing the experiment, right? I will just come in a few hours later or I will do it tomorrow or that's what my weekend's going to be. Mm-hmm. But professor, no, you've got like five different meetings, five different commitments to five different people. You can't move them all. You can't move them at all. So I just sit there with like, my head is going to explode. My head is going to explode. That's what I'm thinking. And they're going, oh my God. So let's talk about these macrophages and, you know, let's talk about grants and money. And, and I'm like, my head is exploding. My yeah. Head is exploding. And this is making my head explode more. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, I kind of want to lay down. Like when your body wants you to lay down <laughs> and you're funny. Yeah. And so then uh, I got sick again because I got exposed to someone who was sick. So I'm recovering from my second bout of sickness, which I'm so upset. Maybe this is what it means to work around students all the time, too. Yeah, well, I guess this, I feel like that's what friends who particularly work with small children talk about all the time. Like, they're just so germy. Yeah, but I didn't... But then these are under, like, actual... Ugh. Well, these are much older kids, but... Hmm. I don't know. All I... Actually, no, this is Corey's fault. He made me sick. He said that he had a sinus infection that he uh-huh. it was just his allergies and then a day later when I visited him a day later he um was like oh no I'm actually sick Corey <laughs> exactly so then when I got back to Pittsburgh then that's when my scratchy throat came back and I was like fuck I'm sick again I just got over this hazards love like- is making me sick love makes you sick <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh yeah, love sick. Love sick. I'm not love sick. Yeah. All right. But have you been sick? How are you, how do you not get sick as a faculty? Well, I don't Teach know because me. I feel like I feel like I've gotten <laughs> some really terrible I don't know, colds and other things that just like put me out for a while. Mm-hmm. And I had, I definitely had this time last year when my, my first year as faculty where I had to come to my office because I had to work all day, but I literally went through like two boxes of tissues when I was in here because uh-huh. it was just like also a non never ending flow of sneezing and mucus. And <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't have to see anyone. Like it was just, it was disgusting. And yeah. And yet I was still pushing through because I had deadlines to meet. Right. Right. Isn't it so awkward when like you really want to blow your nose, like you want to go hard on your nose, but there's like, like you want to give it some attention, but but people are in front of you and like, you don't know if you'll recover, if they will recover from seeing you do that nose thing that we all do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Especially if you're in a meeting or something like it it would just be too much attention to yourself. So you have to just like dab at it in a dainty fashion. Right. Because then who wants to touch your nose? I mean, who wants to shake your hand after you've like, you know. You so know. something I think about, <laughs> you remember how an Avatar Last Airbender, at one point Katara, like, Ben sweat? Yes. And she was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So that's what I think about when I get really congested is like, oh, if there was a waterbender, they could like bend the snot out of my face. Oh, my God. But wouldn't it be amazing? Yes. <laughs> like, it just self-congestion. It'd be disgusting, but... Oh my god! It would be, just think about the relief. But you know what they what Avatar Last Airbender didn't dis- discuss? What? <laughs> okay, so you can bend water, so you can theoretically bend everything that has water. But how do you differentiate water? You know, like how do you bend only your sweat and not like your skin and the moisture from your mm. the moisture from your skin or like from your like eyeballs? accidentally grabbing too much too much. Yeah. Like, how do you get only the sweat and not end up having dry skin or taking water from your lungs or from yeah. your lips or something? Or Well, if you think about the mechanics of what we see, the reason why, like, it's harder for people to bend anything other than pure water has to do with the amount of control. So it has, I guess it has to do with, like, the purity of the element means it's the easier to do. And that's why only, like, really powerful benders can, can blood bend. Yeah. And like, or that whole but scene still. where like she also shows how chose how to draw moisture out of things, like, and so I guess like yeah, the the skill means it always defaults to the easy and to the pure. So it's like it, you ha- you would have to work much harder to to bend someone's eye or something. Like you would have to really know about like the viscosity of things. Like mm-hmm. mucus has a different viscosity than maybe other water. Yeah, I, don't know. I forget. Do you think you would be a water bender? Um. I don't, I don't know. I remember when we first had this conversation and I was very upset because you said, and Olivia said that I was not a bender at all. <laughs> I remember this. Olivia was like, I don't think you're a bender. I, I think, I don't think you have it in you. And I was offended. Um, but I also feel like, cause you also have all the science stuff. So you would be like, Baca <laughs> or, um, What's her face in the second? Yeah, but series. I'm also magic, you know. That's fair. <laughs> but I feel like if, I guess I feel like if you're going to be any type of vendor, I could definitely see the water stuff because also it makes sense with being a cancer scientist. Yeah, I guess I'm all like healing. Healing. Yeah. I get emotional. I get. I I do give passionate speeches. Hmm. Like Katara did. And then has to be the mom of the group sometimes. Ugh. 
suppose. She also doesn't like be like that either. I suppose. It's a very gender Yeah, I thing. guess. I I suppose. Um, there are elements of Toph I like too. So I think I want to be Toph. Mm. Um, but I... Or do I want to be Toph? No, I don't know. They're all good. Um, I could also see you as an earthbender. Like it's like the strength and groundedness part. I didn't, cannot see you as an airbender at all. And oh, I, no. I'm not, I don't really think fire either. You think you're fire. Yes, for sure. Everyone thinks <laughs> I'm fire. Please. Huh. Hmm. You could be air. Really? I don't, but I'm not calm. <laughs> I'm not calm and fluid at all. <laughs> or carefree. I'm an, an carefree. angry, angsty person. Um. Yeah. I think I just want to be the avatar. Okay, but that's cheating. Obviously, I know it's kind of avatar. like with Harry Potter, and everyone's like, "I'm Gryffindor." No, everyone doesn't say they're Gryffindor. So, for the listeners, it's important to know that no matter how old we get, no matter what faculty title we get, we will still wonder what kind of bender that we are. Or to just also say that because it's the greatest show of all time, it is, it also is able to transcend time. all levels. Appreciation transcends all levels of the academic hierarchy. They actually did, yeah. They talk about so much. And that part where the um, the scholar literally decides to die in this, the desert with the books. Mm-hmm. I and he's also so the chair much. of his department. <laughs> I could just think, like, I couldn't help but think that poor department, like, he has to sign off on the stuff for meetings, and they're waiting, like, okay, the next year's curriculum has to be finalized. We have to, you know, matriculate the next class. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah, yeah I yeah. can't wait to hear your, your, read your article about this, though. Well, well, knock on wood, that's very far in the future. I'm working on finishing up, and I'll be workshopping it at University of Toronto next week. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, how are you dealing with all the travel? Surprisingly well. Um, my other UK friends that went with me to Hawaii for ASA uh, mm-hmm. are talking about how jet lag they are. But the so there's no direct flights between London and Honolulu. Um, mm-hmm. I went through LAX, mm-hmm. and so it was like a 20 hour flight, and I cannot sleep on planes, so I did not sleep. And so as soon as I came back, I collapsed for 12 over 12 hours. And actually, I think that it was just lucky that that sort of synced me up again to a normal schedule. Wow. Wait, yeah. when, when did you, you, you've, so you flew the 20 hours to get to Hawaii and then you slept for 12 hours. Oh no, sorry. I meant uh, the way back. Um, oh. Yeah. Also. So flying that way to Hawaii, it was, I think longer on the way there because I think going the, that way across the Atlantic is always slower because of currents or something. Um, yeah. Current yeah. And then getting there, Somehow, somehow we were fine. Like we also had to wake up early a lot for different hikes and stuff like that, but it, it actually went pretty well. And then, and it was sort of funny because during the actual conference, people would be like, oh, wow, you must be so jet lagged. And the funny thing is because we were able to get there before the conference, since it fell during our reading week, that I was like probably one of the better adjusted people. Mm. Yeah. So you you were... You were just in Hawaii, and now you're going back to Toronto. Yeah. Um, which is also good. That's where your family is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll be good. It'll also be good when I, as I continue, I hope to get more of the paper written so I could share it. I'm trying to 
get my head around the fact that you can share work pe- with people that is incomplete when you workshop because that's the whole point of a workshop. Mm. But I've never submitted something that wasn't completed before. Mm. So but how does course, it make you feel then? Vulnerable. I hate vulnerability. Yeah, you're definitely a firebender. No, <laughs> you're not a firebender. You're just a Zula. That's different than being a firebender because mm-hmm. Iroh was a firebender. He was great. He was warmth and light. I know, but he wasn't originally like that, remember? That was only after the death of his son. Okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure he loved tea always. Well, yeah. I mean, he loved tea always, but he was also like an imperialist conqueror. Yeah. Until, yeah. This conversation must be very mystifying for people who have not watched the show. And that's why if you're listening and haven't watched Avatar The Last Airbender, you should go and do so now. <laughs> yeah and then read Zine's article about why it's so awesome so I yeah I (laughs) I have been relishing not traveling because earlier this year all I did was travel right for for the job market and I Mm -hmm. was I think I've done like 15 trips this year oh my god um might even be more than that actually so I'm exhausted and then I've had, I've been, I was stuck in London once and um, trying to get from Scotland back to the U.S. And You mean the time you're stuck in London with me? No. Oh, this is a different time. Okay. Because I was going to be like, is that was like a very coded read? <laughs> huh. I was just stuck in London with you. I would never be stuck with you. Thank you. Thank there was this one point where... <laughs> I was just, oh, I didn't, oh, my debit card didn't work here. And then you couldn't use your credit card to load. Um, yeah, a you were messaging me from that because you you couldn't. Moisture, but then I also, my phone, I bought a SIM card, but then my phone wouldn't accept the SIM card. So it was just like a series of things that just had failed. Mm. <laughs> and the funny thing about it was I actually tried to prevent those things from happening. And I so it was funny like when I tried and I hit all these other barriers that I wasn't expecting but yes travel is hard and it's stressful and um really hard to do when you have a class classes going on yeah and so I'm trying to adjust to that I'm trying to I guess I really understand what people say now when they give the advice that you should buy your time and that your time is really valuable and you should start treating it a little more preciously Mm. so like in other words like if something's going to help you not get sick you need to do that because if you're sick you're not performing well you're trying to cancel all your meetings right you're you're not writing you're not talking you're not hitting those deadlines so it's better if something helps you spend more time being healthy Mm -hmm. I think that's why it's particularly terrifying to get sick as you're in this, these moments, it's like you have to get keep so many things together. And even when you're well, you're barely on top of them. And then being sick would just derail everything. Yeah. And like, you can't think well. So I can honestly say that this is the first week I felt my head has been clear. Oh, God. <laughs> like, like, I feel I feel better, um, which made me realize how bad I actually did feel, mm. you know, like. Yeah, because sometimes you just internalize it so much. It's like when you have a cold and you forget what it's like to breathe through your nose. 
And then I also like think like, oh, it's just such a simple privilege. And then as soon as you can breathe again, <laughs> then you forget about how wonderful it is. I know. <laughs> no, it's, it's unfortunately very true. Yeah. Oh, and I am. Um, yeah, holidays are coming up and I... I'm traveling to see family, but there's a small part of my brain that just wants to hermit. I mm. want to, I don't want to travel because all I've been doing is traveling and I don't want to deal with, with other people's problems Yeah, because I've been dealing with other people's problems for a long time. Like I kind of just want to sit on my couch and watch anything or knit or read a book for fun and sleep whenever I want to and like mm-hmm. actually have vegetate. Holiday. Yeah, like the so that's what a holiday means for me right now. But you know, holidays are also the time I need to kind of, you know, catch up with family, catch up on just things I haven't been focusing on. Mm-hmm. So trying to balance those both of those needs, like the need to kind of be on my own, because I'm rarely on my own, and then the need to um, do other things that I actually are rejuvenating for me, which is going to family or you know just making sure that I've been paying all my bills on time oh my god this is real or you making <laughs> sure that your medical files have been properly transferred to your new medical practice which is something I just had to deal with yeah uh, I uh, working on that now because it turns out like you think they do but they actually didn't but then also apparently like they don't necessarily update like the specialists and so like I had other letters being sent to the wrong thing it yeah Oh. Yeah, so those are the kind of things that you need the time to do that you don't always have the time in between these meetings that are equally important <laughs> um, to your health. I think academia is, we are in more trouble than people think we are. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting given that some, the current the current landscape is that everyone needs a college degree Right. So you would think we're in such high demand that there would be plenty of jobs and the jobs would be lucrative. And yet on the other side of them, the jobs are not plenty in demand, nor are they lucrative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's com- completely incommensurate with the current climate. And I guess and I just that saw doesn't that... make sense, does it? Yeah. I mean, like I just saw um, saw and reposted through our, our Facebook page, that whole thing from I think the scientist is the name of the magazine about how, and I know you've talked to me in the past, the fact that like biomedical uh, tenure track jobs are also really rare, but like that was the real, someone just crunched the numbers and it's like only a, a fifth of people doing biomedical PhDs will be able to get a faculty job, something mm. like that. And like the yeah, fact that's, that there's that's... been a, yeah, a couple notable uh, percentage points decline in terms of the amount of jobs and a climb in unemployment. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, so a fifth. That's like twenty percent. That's actually higher than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> oh, sad. It's 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 higher than I thought it's going to be. It's not a meritocracy. It's um. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm not really sure what that, to say yeah, on but... the podcast. But <laughs> I what I was thinking about was just how there are certain things that will help you get a job that aren't necessarily related to what will predict your success in being good at the job. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people trying to figure out what that magical recipe is. It's another form of inequality. 
Yes. That occurs. Mm -hmm. And what's so distressing about it is that so many people still rely on the same language of meritocracy or just like, you know, if only you say this in the interview and then it ends up just sort of displacing like the problems onto the individual. And then I guess this goes to how like some people who have been successful in the system think that that means that everything is working and that there aren't issues. Like there isn't like, oh, I'm a person of color and look where I am. So racism doesn't exist or you know, I'm a woman, I'm a woman of color. So clearly there's no bias in my field because I managed to make it. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. We should, we really should talk about that. It's just, um, it's a huge challenge. And Mm -hmm. I've been talking to some people in, uh, in industry as well, who have similar, there are similar mindsets there. Um, Mm -hmm. But we, we make these generalizations in ways that don't reflect um, the larger body of evidence. And we try to base it on what our personal experience is, and that's just not right. Mm-hmm. It's not accurate. And, you know, that in itself would be an argument for being very unscientific, actually. But science has frequently been used over time. And by time, I mean the, the time of man to humans to um, prove a point that they wanted that was not necessarily right or true. But mm-hmm. we frequently try to use data in ways that that may not really reflect what the data actually was showing. Yeah. Yes. We have problems. Yeah. And it's interesting to... Um, talk about the problems of academia while I'm sitting in an office now. And not um, in my office. Yeah. And to to have the job, to have the um, semblance of security, another way of security, um, and to think about what that means. Yeah. And I guess like that's something to also emphasize for our listeners. Like especially if you've been a long time listener, you've listened to both of us go through very different phases of precarity and uncertainty and just and we are so fortunate that we're both in junior faculty positions but I don't want people to read the narrative of our trajectory as evidence that things are fine in the system or a look you know there was precarity for a while but you like worked hard and you got it because it's things are far more complicated than that yeah and I'm thinking about this because some people, I think something that happens too that almost feels isolating is like when you're the person that did make it. Um, so there'll be a narrative of, well, like why you and not me? Mm-hmm. Well, why, why, why did you get through? Um, which can range from emotions of, um, well, you know, it was always going to be you all along, like you were chosen to do this and you were kind of given a different path, right. That yeah. I was not given. And, and that was made way before you ever applied for the job. Um, I've heard comments like that before. Um, yeah. Or the, it's just, it's complex, but I think, and I don't want to, I think this happens to everyone. Like, let's say you have friends and you're in a cohort of, of students who then become, you get your PhDs and you move on and you see where your friends are. And I think that happens. I also think there's some extra dynamics that go on when you are from a um, underrepresented group 
So when you are a woman or you're a person of color, you're a woman of color. Um, I mean, I'm sure there are also interesting things about you being, um, you're now working in London and you studied in Canada and the U.S. And so just thinking about all the ways in which those communities have other relationships that you have to navigate, other mm-hmm. communities that you're having the same discussion in, it's very challenging. And um, I think that it, it's a point of privilege to have a faculty position. So usually I don't engage in those conversations because, you know, I have the job, right? But But they're interesting to think about I don't have answers. Yeah, neither do I. I try to take it to you personally, though. Mm-hmm. I guess, like, the what has been important for me now that I've had this faculty position is, like, how can I leverage it for others? And so that's why I've done some of the organizing that I've done or realizing that when I write a letter of compl- an email complaint, it's going to have different weight than the several emails that another friend has who is um, a research fellow might and realizing that putting my name on the grant application or like this little funding application will have more weight than, than if someone else did it, because if they're not faculty, even though it's an excellent proposal, like it's just not going to be considered as valid. And so there's all these like little ways to, to use that sort of, to use that sort of privilege. That's really interesting because the advice and the, the, what I get told or, so you're already trying to use like your title to help other people and there are ways in which I have been told to stay low and focus because the only way I can help people is if my lab is successful. Mm. Um, like, I mean, and I don't, so I'm just offering as a, as a, not as a counter, but as a, like, it's kind of interesting to think about why those different, truths or why both of those experiences are both true but so I do there are times when I do help students um but I feel like I I definitely am always leveraging um whether it's the right time or the place so sometimes it's so sometimes it's me telling someone else who can afford to use that name or have that time because if I invest myself in something if I say there's a problem people are going to expect me to solve it, mm-hmm. which means I have less time to do the stuff that's going to keep me here to have any type of standing, which like my goals right now are I have to publish, I have to have grad students, I have to get grant money because if I don't get grants, I'm not going to have a job, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like I, I'm, I'm expected to be financially solvent um and independent within like two years mm. and you know grad students cost like a hundred thousand dollars a year and wow and if yeah um <laughs> and if uh if so you have grad student costs you have research costs you know you have to be able to pay that and you have to pay part of your own salary mm-hmm. which so, i still found when i've learned that about you i was just like wow wow Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to pay part of my own salary. And it's if you're in the um, School of Medicine or any of those other schools that often the percentages are higher, I have to pay about 30% of my salary. Um, but I've seen like 60 or 40%, 40 or 60%. Hmm. 
so so there are always these things where I'm like okay oh I could do this oh oh I could help and then it's it's like no 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 don't do that mm-hmm. like this is the only probably the last time you can actually be this insular you need to make focus on your program focus on like how you're going to design your lab and your lab culture focus on making those collaborations and those grants because eventually you will have to do more service Mm-hmm. And you will have to talk to people and have those difficult conversations and you won't be shielded from less friendly people. Um, so it's interesting. So I've been doing more of fielding questions and learning, like learning who am I actually working with? Who am I talking to? What is the institution like? What are my actual goals here? Like really trying to be strategic about understanding first and even when I do have a, a thing because I I mean I, I have opinions um trying really not to say them or I'm saying them but I'm saying them offline yes and I'm getting a sense of what what matters and then and then relaying that information to both people I trust or or people that I think can actually do something with the information that I know mm-hmm. and this is also an experiment for me which is I just got here I don't know what to do so it's it's also a way of like giving some low stakes and to see like what happens to that information. Yeah. Does it go I back in my face? Because, yeah. Like I feel like the first year for me was a lot about like lurking and just feeling out where, where everything was. Like, I think that I was in some ways, like I've definitely done more political things because of my position, but still, I think I've been trying to be very careful as you're saying about like, what do I say and when, and also which spheres I'm moving in. Mm-hmm. And especially being attentive to like who has power over me or like which context am I moving in? Um, And I think that like you're talking about the pressures of the lab, I think is so important. And because I think it indicates the way that our disciplines are structure, um, how we engage with the university. Uh, Because I feel like there's, because I feel like um, more generically, at least in the humanities, the often, the SIP, what we often get told is like, you have to wait get tenure and then you can do things. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also then that sort of becomes a trap because then people only wait for tenure. But then I think like that second level is also then not modulated by the fact that like, even if you follow that methodology, like I I'm, don't have people beholden to me the way that you do with the lab. I don't have the same burden put on me about making sure that I, I can fund my graduate students or keep my lab open because my research isn't dependent on that. So that also gives me more leeway. Yeah. And um, I'm trying to establish, I'm trying to establish credibility now. So it means that I have to play. I think you're always playing. You're, you're always being collegiate. But what I do now is very important in terms of having people understand that I am serious. Mm. And so also speed is it. So I need to do certain things and they need to happen. Otherwise, people will stop looking for me. They, I will not be of interest. Yeah. So these are, um, and these are things that a lot of new faculty are kind of thinking about and the advice and just laying the groundwork um, for your future interactions and departmental relationships that are, that are interesting and in that, um, 
And also they're so long-term. Like I feel like it's suddenly the time scale in which I'm thinking about my professional life is so different because it's like, it's not just that you're working with these people now, you could be together for decades mm-hmm. in this field, in this particular region for dec- or decades. And what does it mean to like build and to think about what, like, of course that gives you the possibility of working towards different forms of change and doing different types of work. But then like, it's going to, wow, it's going to be a long process. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you need the people that will be able to support you in that process and make that space viable. Yeah. Like I was so grateful that um, one of the friends I made when I first got here, um, I literally found her cause I was trying to find other Americanist scholars of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we ended up coordinating this whole panel stuff and we ended up getting funding and, and for putting together these panels. And that's also about building a network. And I was so, so happy that she got a faculty job as well, because then we were like, okay, now we're in it for the long haul together. And now we know that mm-hmm. our partnership is going to be decades of trying to do this work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've definitely invested time in people in- junior faculty as well as senior faculty for that very reason that these are people that I can grow with that one day mm-hmm. we will be the big people in our field if we survive yes. if we can survive this stage <laughs> um it's gonna it's gonna be good and I can see how it's good because I can see how people at, who are at the senior stages are leveraging their um influence mm-hmm and running their programs. So it really is about making these connections now. Because also, even though I'm busy now, it's comical how busy I'm about to get. Mm-hmm. Like that first semester of being a new faculty is is busy, but also a breeze breeze when you ask someone who's in their second or third year. And, that, and I don't know that yet, but every time I talk about what I'm doing now, the older faculty would just laugh at me and they say, just wait, just wait. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. Yeah. It's going to, you know, it's going to get even busier. It's going to, you know, once everything starts really moving all at the same time, um, like more grant deadlines right in the middle of teaching and then more invitations to speak as your research gets, becomes more um, available you know, once I start publishing things that come from my lab, you know, it's all going to pick up. And God forbid I, I have a child. Mm. Um, and I'm not talking about a husband. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they can be children. That's what I'm told. Or like when you have to start doing more administrative work and that will just take up your whole life. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like- so it's it's like... I'm trying to enjoy what I, the little honeymoon that I have here, this little space where I really am given, being given the opportunity to craft, to, to, to strategically plan. And I should be using that time to do just that because very soon it's going to be hard to find time to think because you're going to spend time doing and kind of going from one, one emergency to another, like one deadline that's like, I have to get this done. And then another, once you get that done, something else that I have to get this done now. Hmm. It also sort of puts into to relief how busy we felt as as under sorry as graduate students rather, or even as postdocs, right? 
Mm-hmm. It's sort of like the difficulty still hasn't plateaued. No, but we've gotten better at handling the the challenges. So I, I mentioned, I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, but in the sciences, you, um, you have like a pre-proposal, a pre-defense proposal. So it's something you do like year two or three, and you're proposing what you're going to defend on. Mm. Right. So it would be like the A exam at Cornell, but people call it other things. But it's like you may have a qualifier that's basically on the knowledge, but then you have a proposal defense that's based on what you're proposing to do, which is what what your defense is. Right. And so when I was writing my when I was doing my proposal, I remembered thinking like, oh, I'm trying to figure out what three topics to say and like how to write them and how to script them. And then Last year, when I was making my research statement, it occurred to me that my proposal, that the scale and scope of it was essentially like a fifth of one of the projects I was proposing as a faculty member, hmm. and that my research statement had to have three projects of that nature Wow, listed, right? So, so in other words, like there was a scaling up of, of the scope. Um, the magnitude in the building, right? So when you're proposing projects for a faculty position, you're also proposing, you're not just proposing something you do in a thesis. You're proposing what you could launch a program on that you could continuously fund that could give multiple students projects. Mm-hmm. So so in my mind, when I'm thinking about how you how that scaled up and like what you really developed on, there is a linear progression if you think about it. You know, I wouldn't have been able to have that kind of scope as a grad student, but I learned how to cultivate that. Or at least I had my first experience with it as a grad student. Mm -hmm. And it just keeps scaling. But you get better at it. You get faster at it. Or the semester of teaching, I was developing a course, which often meant I was too or even zero lectures ahead of my class. <laughs> like I, there were times where I was wrapping up my lecture bef- like and saving it like seconds before I started walking to the class to present. And that's like an hour and a half of material, mm-hmm. right? And so if I had done that as a first year grad student, it would have been terrible, terrible. Do you know what kind of presentation yeah. that would be? Because that's the kind of presentation we get when we ask students to do a journal club or to, you know, read a, read, do something. But I've learned enough and I've done enough that, that that was presentable and doable and it was meaningful for the students. So yeah. you, we've grown and we've, we don't really get a chance to think about how much we've grown, but we really have we've learned more as well as become more efficient at, at information synthesis, replication, and communication. That's such a scientific way of putting it. I'm just very amused. Uh, yeah, I'm the scientist. I know. I know. <laughs> what, we're, we're keeping true to form. Did, how would you say it? Hmm. I mean, under pressure now, I feel like it's, <laughs> I, I can't, I feel like I can't articulate it in a way that you know you're usually different. the eloquent one. <laughs> so too much pressure, but I was also going to say like like all my lectures have also been like that. It's like so I feel you. Also, powerpoints take so much time. I have to just complain about this. <gasps> also, it's not like I got any training into it, and now I have to make so many powerpoints and I have to make them look good, and I don't really know how to. And it just takes so much more work, even than the amount of research that I'm putting into it to structure the lecture. 
Mm. Well, now, um, now that I've been struck by the Ted magic and, um, I think I, I, I want my presentations to all be like pristine mm. and I, I have to let that go. Pristine and only 10 minutes long. No, I mean, I, my out, my classes are 90 minutes. <laughs> That's a long time um, to talk. Mm-hmm. I make it work. Yeah, I could totally see that. I'm sure the <laughs> students are so lucky to have you. I would just like to that's, emphasize that. That's very thoughtful of you. But it's also true. Occasionally, like, that is true. Yeah, but you're great. And I think that, you know. We all have our moments of teaching where we're like, I don't want to do this right now. I am so exhausted. I just don't care right now. And you're trying not to show your class that you just would rather not be teaching right now. Yeah, I guess that's also being an adult. And it's, it's also really funny because if there was ever a day where I just didn't care, I would maybe just not show up to class because I didn't feel like I was hurting anyone but myself. But now that I'm a teacher, I feel more responsibility and therefore guilt when I don't feel like teaching. Because mm-hmm. if you slack off, then that that just hurts a lot more people. And, and, and But the other thing is I have to perform for – I, I do think teaching is – you have to get up for an, an hour and a half and say stuff. And so if I don't have, like I have enough to say, then it's just dull. Then it's painful for me to be up there and just go, oh, no. So, um, cancer is bad, <laughs> but we knew that. Yeah. 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 Let's look up some Wikipedia references. <laughs> Let's, I don't know. Um, but anyway, I think we should be getting towards a close. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about a lot. We talked about we our favorite TV show of all time. We talked about striking and current and she's in academia, challenges of being a first a newbie professor. Um, Who could I semester update? Yeah, could I read you something from my paper that I'm working on for Avatar? <laughs> yes. Okay. um, So this is part of what I'm working on. Um, So part of how I'm looking at Avatar The Last Airbender has to do with taking seriously its representation of Asian indigenous cultures. I'm using it as a way of thinking about different forms of indigeneity and coalition, as well as Asian colonialism and Asian American settler colonialism. So a bit of context. So sorry, this is just like very nerdy, but I also just want to share it to you because I I think it's cool. So I'm ready. I'm, I've, okay. I've been ready for this moment. Okay. So um, this is a paragraph from later in my paper. Following the show's origin story, the choice to bring in circumpolar indigenous representations stems from DiMartino's obsession with, quote, a documentary about explorers who were trapped at the South Pole, end quote. In their words, the combination of this documentary with some sketches by Conizio led to the initial concept as follows, quote, there's an air guy along with these air people trapped in a snowy wasteland, and maybe some fire people are pressing down on them, end quote. The, sh- <laughs> the legacy of Shackleton and other colonial capitalist polar exp- expeditions of the so-called heroic age informs this element of world building. Such explorers perpetuated the familiar terra nullius justification for colonization. Scholar Hester Blum notices, notes that Inuit knowledge, for instance, posed an epistemological challenge to white people who dismissed its validity. Still, the show itself complicates the reductive reading of those origins as settler colonial fantasy. 
The story begins at the South Pole, which is far from, from an uninhabited wasteland, but an outpost of resistance, even if depleted by the Long War. Rather than a Shackleton surrogate, Katara and Sokka of the Southern Water Tribe are the ones to make the pivotal discovery of Aang and the iceberg that catalyzes the main plot. They are protagonists, making up approximately half of the main cast. Again, it is Katara whose voice opens each episode with the role that she and her sibling play in the hope for a future that will break from the history told to them by their grandmother. From a certain perspective, then, an indigenous feminist tradition of storytelling frames the entire show. Right up with brain nerdy, but yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm terrible at horn voices, but like excitement, surprise, person dancing up on you. That's no, that's actually not the right voice, but person dancing around you, you know, like yay, excitement, um, baby squealing, dogs wagging their tails, wagging their tails, cats paying no attention. That's what they always do. Um, <laughs> so awesome. I love it. I'm so much. I look forward to being able to share the full version. Yeah. I, I think we should you should just read the whole damn thing. Special episode of PhD Vos. Alright, so we're gonna cut this off. Sorry, yeah, so I'll bring that up later. Let me show about the Avatar so that I can fangirl out because I binged the show recently. Uh, makes me cry, makes me happy. I still don't really feel Katara and Aang together, but that's fine. We can talk about this later. Um, final thoughts before you get ready to pass. I'm really glad that we got to check in, like a wellness check, because first year faculty is hard. Second year faculty is, is hard too. I agree with, with all the things. It's hard. And I'm so excited. Like, I am so excited and feeling very grateful right now. Mm-hmm. We're on a like great adventure. Our lives are a great adventure. Vision. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a very, like, strong sense of power right now. Just emanate. It's like a, like a yellow glow, like a haze. Avatar so, state. <laughs> no, I could die in Avatar state and lose all my the Avatar. Oh, life. yeah. That's, okay. Yeah. yeah too, too much pressure. Too much pressure. <laughs> Well, um, <laughs> um, so nerd girls out, PhD is out. Have a good day. Take care of yourselves. <laughs>